Welcome to Buzz in Baltimore, the podcast about craft beverages in Maryland. And today is a very special episode because I am here with Chris Fulton, the owner and barista at Sophomore Coffee. So we're talking about a little bit of a different buzz today. Uh, But Chris, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. Happy to be a part of this thing that doesn't typically involve coffee, but right now it does. Yeah, no, and I mean, it's it's cool because I think, and we were talking about this a little bit earlier, the art of drink making mm-hmm. is similar no matter what you're making. If it's alcoholic or NA spirits or coffee or tea or kombucha or meat, I mean, there's just, the categories are yep. limitless these days. So thank you for inviting me into your space. For you guys that don't know, Chris has a beautiful space in Old Goucher. It's right next to Larder and Fadensanen, and it's Maryland and Maryland 20- 23rd Street, 23rd. Yep, right on the corner. And I love any place you have to walk down steps to get to. Like, there's just something about that. <laughs> Not everybody that. does, but I do also. Yeah, I don't know. You feel it's like cozy or something. Yeah, like yeah. Here. You have to kind of know, um, you know, that it's down here also too to be actually get the courage to walk down the stairs as well. Right, right. You know, your people are committed if they're coming <laughs> exactly, in here. Exactly. But you've managed to make it such a bright space despite it being subterranean. Yeah. Um, it's beautiful in here. I'll post some pictures on Instagram so so people can see. Um, but you grew up in Maryland, right? Originally? I did. Yeah, yeah. So I'm a I'm an Air Force brat, so I kind of moved around a little bit at the very first couple of years of my life. Uh, but my family's been in Maryland since 1990, so it very much is home. Yeah, I pretty much moved here when I was like four or five, so most of my memories are of Maryland and growing up here. I would very much say that I'm from here, although some people think I'm from California, but you know, <laughs> so I guess. <laughs> I think it's like when your memories start forming, that really should be what yeah, counts, totally, right? Totally, yeah, totally, totally. I have like snippets of like before Maryland, but like majority of things have happened to me in this state for sure. And you've moved around a fair amount, right? Yeah. You've lived in New York. Um, LA also too. LA also, yeah. wow. So, so what made you decide to come back? Um, I always wanted to come back. I think moving was more of a like career decision when it comes down to it. You know, I think that, um, you know, Baltimore always kind of felt like big for me kind of growing up like in the suburbs and kind of always like in between Baltimore and DC, like the notion of even coming into Baltimore particularly was always just kind of like, well, I'm like going into Baltimore. Here we go. You know? <laughs> yeah. Um, let's get ready. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So once I got to a spot of being comfortable here and kind of meeting people and feeling like I can move through the city you know, and find spaces that I wanted to be in. It was very much like, this is cool. I'm like happy to be here. Uh, But I also felt like in terms of my profession at that time, when I decided to move, I was starting to take coffee a little more seriously. Yeah. And there weren't a ton of opportunities here in Baltimore at the time to take the craft a little bit deeper or to take a deeper dive into it. And uh, I had worked at the Four Seasons Hotel working for um, a company called LaMille. Ah. And miss they, the mill every day. Yeah, that they, co- coffee shop is great. Uh, I don't as much, but I do. I do miss the uh, initial experience. Was great. Right. <laughs> Completely understandable. But yeah, yeah. You know, there's it went a different direction after I started there, but it was a really great pivotal time for me because it, ha- it helped me to kind of like get my shit together, kind right. of figure out what it is I wanted to do. I was kind of put in a position for it to be set up like as a job, and it was kind of the first like career-ish type position I've gotten since graduating. And that little bit of experience and exposure to like, you know, what it could be like to work professionally in the coffee industry had me like desiring more. Yeah. So to make coffee a career. I mean, yeah. it's crazy to maybe even think before that it wasn't, it, you know, felt like a gig thing maybe for a lot of people. Definitely but. felt like a part-time job or an in-between kind of job or a thing to kind of just do. Um, yeah. That was always kind of how I approached it of just like, oh, it's a cool job to have. You know, it was never like, oh, I'm going to do this. 10 years from now, right. you know, this is going like, to be like my like life savings. Yeah, and... I'm going to move across the country for this. You yeah. know, that was definitely not my mindset in any kind of way, but just kind of along Same. the way of working in the industry and kind of like learning more things about it, meeting new people who kind of like got me deeper into it. Um, just kind of let me down that pathway. So eventually it was just like, okay, if I want to take this more seriously, if I want to get more experience, I should be in a bigger market. I should be in a market that like has a lot more activity going on. And that's where LA kind of came into play. That's so cool. So have you always like gravitated towards coffee? Do you have early memories of coffee? Has it been something like always in your life? Yeah. Yeah. I think that like, like most of us, you know, I remember my dad, you know, our parents drinking coffee. I think that's for a lot of people growing up. And I talked to a lot of people who like remember the sound of the can opening or like the grinder, maybe if their parents were fancy. Yeah, or even just the smell of it. So I think that like for most Americans, really, like that smell of coffee has a distinctive nostalgic feel for me. 
Um, probably in middle school, late middle school, like early high school, I started drinking more like socially. But before that, I drink a lot of coffee with my dad. Before it was probably cool to do that. Yeah. Um, no, no, yeah. Before it was cool to do it's that. It's so cool now. Yeah. Before yeah. it was cool to drink coffee with your dad, I was already doing it. Um, I, I guess I mean like before it was like socially cool to do it as a kid. Yeah. I was like seven or eight drinking coffee with my dad, wow, which was like not normal. Young. Yeah, but it was more of like you know I'm the youngest of two sons. I'm always trying to find any kind of way to connect with my dad especially at that age. And yeah. so it was like, cool, like I'll do this also, you know, but mostly the coffee was like milk and sugar, like a little bit of coffee, but that routine of making your coffee and kind of going to the place to get it with the Seven Eleven every Sunday to get coffee, that kind of like really ingrains in me, like just the routine of it all. Totally. And, and then, it's a bonding experience too. I mean, totally. it's, you could just sit and have a conversation with your dad, but like getting the coffee is like an excuse yep. to hang out. Which yeah. Is cool. It was like our thing to do. Like nobody else really drank coffee. If we were like out and there was like uh, any kind of notion of like coffee after dinner, it was always like, yeah, we'll get some coffee. Yeah. So it was definitely that bonding experience, which, um, you know, definitely resonated kind of down, down the line, but <clears throat> later on in high school, it was like more of like, oh, now people socially are drinking it too. Right. Starbucks became a lot more popular in malls, you know, so for a lot of high school students, it was pretty easily accessible. And it's kind of like the most adult thing you can do oh, totally. inside of the mall as like a 14 year old yeah. drink a cup of coffee. It makes you feel, I remember my <laughs> friends and I would always go to Towson Diner and yeah. drink coffee and like that was the way, other thing too, put yeah. way too much milk and sugar in it and yep. just feel like we were so adult. Yep. Um, it was kind of that period before you started drinking and, totally. you know, to feel like a little bit more sophisticated or something, but probably the coffee we were drinking was like awful. If you yeah, think about always, it. always. And yeah. you're always trying to mask it with like cream and sugar to kind yes. of cover up the flavor of it. But yeah, later on, as I got my driver license, like going to a diner was a spot to go to that we can like hang out at ours at a night and just kind of like have a coffee there, so to speak. So for sure, those early memories are definitely like as it became more social. Um, that was where I kind of gravitated towards like being like, all right, this is what people are doing. This is yeah. a good way to kind of hang out. Like, let's go for it. Yeah. No. And you went to, um, UMBC for college. I did. Yeah. Um, and studied wow. photography. Did you research? Yeah. I did, I did a did. little bit of research. Nice. So do you, is there, I, I just think it's really cool that you studied photography. I yeah, think that's such yeah. an awesome skill to have. Did do you draw from that with anything that you do with the coffee yeah, shop? I mean, I mean, it's very visual <clears throat> and beautiful. So I'm, I'm not surprised. Totally. Yeah. I mean, I definitely would give all the visual credit of like the space and the way it looks to my partner in the business and for fortune because she has interior design background she had the vision for the space you mentioned earlier about it being bright and airy and that was like a huge uh, connecting point for both of us when we started yeah. talking about the look of the space of kind of having it feel like you're not in a basement essentially right um just knowing that i would be here all the time i like just didn't want to work in a basement yeah we were kind of seeing eye to eye on that aspect of like you know i have an eye for some art you know aesthetics and some artistic viewpoints but with photography it was interesting i think that I was like studying that because I was looking for a way to showcase my viewpoint, you know, to those around me, so to speak, and always kind of found that as like the best way to be like, all right, this is exactly what I want you to see is this thing right here. Yeah. And I think through that experience of um, not only like creating um, photographs, but also like having it and show them to people and then having to hear them like give you feedback. I kind of realized initially during that experience of like, okay, you may have like a complete vision for something. But as soon as you like give it to the world or give it to somebody else, like that becomes theirs and right. it changes, you know, Their interpretation. there could be a beauty in that. But I think that I had to learn to, um, to lessen like the hold on that, you know? And so I would say that definitely that particular lesson, um, is probably the biggest lesson I've taken kind of through that experience of studying photography and putting, putting out my art and that kind of stuff into what I do now to where it's very similar, where it's like this whole coffee shop lived in my head for a couple of years. And as soon as you share it with someone, the first one being Anne, and so on and so forth, we start to kind of give it away and yeah. that kind of notion of like being okay with that and also like wanting to embrace that, I think is kind of a little bit of my, my, my studies in photography helped out with that a bit. That's so interesting. And even like, you know, the notion of someone coming in to order a drink and taste a drink and have a drink, their thoughts on that drink are yeah. going to be different from yours, even totally. though you made the recipe yeah, and you yeah. sourced the beans and, you know, it's like you are giving them that interpretation at that yep. point, which is kind of crazy. Yeah, I think you can think about it in the same way. I mean, I, I think I approach coffee in the same way I probably approach photography as well. I'm very like, as I'm realizing through this process, very type A and very methodical yeah. in a way and usually have a vision of what I'm trying to do. And then, you know, as I'm trying to execute it, do a lot of editing and then like continue to edit after you kind of present it. Um, that was definitely something that I like enjoyed about digital photography in a way where you can kind of like, uh, I don't like anything that I shot. I can reshoot this right now. Yeah, that makes a big this, difference, right? You know, versus doing film, which I which I do have a soft spot for, where it's like the role is the role, and you better just figure out something yeah. from that role that kind of work that works and makes sense because there's no time to 
reshoot it and process it and all that kind of stuff. Go back in the dark room. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it definitely, there's definitely some skills I learned throughout that, that in some ways kind of apply to what I'm doing now, but I can't say there's a direct one-to-one. Um, cause I very much, I think view more the practical side of coffee, more so the artistic side of it, kind of just based on where I'm at right now. That's cool. Yeah. So, so were you making any drinks or coffee drinks or any kind of drinks in college or when did that sort of start? Yeah. So I got my first coffee job in college. I was 19 at city.coffee in Annapolis, Maryland, still there. Um, probably two owners away, two or three owners removed from where I worked there, but it's an institution downtown. It's very much, you know, in coffee, there's been lots of talks about waves because everybody likes to categorize things, but the, you know, quote unquote, second wave of coffee kind of is like what you might envision of like friends or. I was just going to say, okay, what was the first wave? First wave is going to be like straight up like Maxwell House, like Bulger's, like coffee, like kind of is becoming like a part of like American society, so to speak. So Mr. Coffee was like one of the biggest things that got released in order to make people like have coffee at their house at all times, you know? right. Yeah, so that was kind of the first wave, like getting coffee like in people's homes. In and like in, the eighties ish. Probably even earlier than that. I mean, early eighties is probably close around the second wave or so. This is probably like forties, fifties or so. Oh, okay. So like you're 60s. talking the waves are big then. Okay. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. Big waves. Big waves. <laughs> big waves. Um, debatable if we're in a new wave now or not. Nobody knows yet. Right. I mean, you could argue that you we definitely know if are you're now. In the wave when you're in the wave. That's... You don't know until like, you know, you're like in the wave, you know. <laughs> um, so it feels like we're in multiple waves right now oh based on God. what's happening. So kind of hard to tell, kind of hard to focus on coffee right now so to speak but um in general the second wave was kind of you know taking european coffee culture which is slightly different than american coffee culture which i think is becoming more apparent in some ways and also less apparent because they're kind of merging now at this point um but if you think about any kind of espresso based beverage would be considered to be european style coffee making because you know drip coffee um percolation essentially where like the water passes through the coffee and like through a paper filter right all very american yeah um and then you know on the european side you have more espresso based stuff so like you know more concentrated smaller amounts um using milk and you know steaming and that kind of thing yeah. too yeah so it was probably here in the states in some kind of capacity but didn't really take on you know until like the 70s 80s um mostly on the west coast in san francisco um, this is kind of where Starbucks kind of comes into play. They're right. like definitely in the forefront of this. Pete's Coffee also in the forefront of this as well. So anyway, long story short. Um, no, that's really fascinating. Yeah. I like hearing about all that stuff. Yeah, sorry. And you be like, everybody knows this. No, but I, 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 was, I really don't. I always use friends as like the, the, the visuals. So you yeah, have like I mean, that's what I thought. the big huge latte bowl cups, right, like comfy seats and cushions, like kind of like a brown, kind of reddish earth tone kind totally, of motif. And like the bohemian person on Yeah, guitar. you got someone on guitar, maybe someone doing spoken word in the corner. Right. Like that's like what City Doc was like and probably still is. Like um, yeah. a lot of coffee shops will kind of like maintain that vibe. Um, it's very like familiar and very like coffee shop, so to speak. Right. And I would argue that's like kind of the vibe that, you know, Starbucks in, you know, commodified and then spread, you know, over and over and over and over again. Totally. Um, which then led to the third wave of like more or less what we're doing, where it's like more especially focused, kind of focused on ingredients, focused on experience, focused on um, elevating, you know, that kind of stuff um, versus less of a commodifying it and less of like, you know, go, go, go and more of like all right, like, let's take some time. Let's appreciate it. Let's talk about where this is from. Let's like taste different things and like appreciate the flavors. Let's taste the coffee itself and not the roast of the coffee itself. Um, So that's kind of like where third wave kind of changed around a little bit. What does that mean? Taste the coffee itself and not the roast. Yeah, I mean, my humble opinion, um, often with some coffees, when you taste like a flavor of roast, that's a flavor that's been applied to the coffee through the roasting process. So coffee itself, like if you try it like just as it is, like raw green coffee has like no flavor of roast at all. So it's very similar to compare it to like a piece of raw steak. Like you eat like raw gotcha. meat, it tastes like raw meat. You know, it tastes right. very different there's than no when it tastes. Char, there's, there's no char, there's no char, yeah. there's no caramelization, you know, right. there's nothing. There's no cook on it. And then as you apply heat and as you um, apply some chemical reactions, the Maillard reaction is like, you know, there in coffee as it is in, you know, steaks or toast for that matter also too, that kind of browning of the sugars. Right. That's what kind of starts to develop the flavor a little bit. And when you take it past that that stage, you start to get into the flavor of roast, um, which I would, you know, relate to like if you cook a piece of steak in a skillet with butter versus like on, you know, charcoal. Right. If that flavor of the charcoal goes into the steak. That's not the flavor of the steak, that's but it kind of, of melts into it and kind of, you know, becomes the flavor of the steak, so to speak. So cool. very similar to coffee. If you get like a dark roast, I would c- compare that to like a steak cooked, you know, over the coals the wood smoke, you know, all that smoke kind of flavor going into it. Yeah. But not necessarily a flavor that's inherent in the coffee itself. 
No, that makes a lot of sense. I love that analogy. That made that's made it very easy for me to understand. Yeah, so or if you go it. like, and then to push it a little bit further, if you were to then like sous vide a steak and like slow cook it that way, right. and then sear it just to kind of get like you know the caramelization finished off on that, or if you were to do like a reverse sear, kind of mm-hmm. similar to that also too. That may be more similar to the approach that people, and especially in true take to coffee, to where it's like coaxing out the flavor, slow development, and then also still that caramelization to kind of round the flavor off. Yeah. But more so to balance out the inherent flavors of the product versus to apply your own flavor of like roast. Got it. Yeah. That's that's kind of how I think about it, at least. Yeah. Yeah. You do definitely have a scientific approach to it, which I think is, that's awesome. It's so, I'm learning so much about about it a lot, I guess. Yeah. (laughs) And I, I told Chris before we recorded, I'm actually not a huge coffee drinker. And so like, this is fascinating for me because I don't, I'm really came in with like a blank slate. So cool. Um, you believe everything I say. Yeah. <laughs> I have no basis for comparison. So I'm just, yeah. Perfect person to talk to. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, have you, like in that same vein though, have you seen people, it's like compared to when you started in Annapolis to LaMille to New yeah. York and LA to now, like have you seen people's coffee orders evolve or how their ordering evolve? Like what was like a typical order you would take back in Annapolis? Yeah, I mean, to an extent, I think that coffee shops have probably changed more than people have. You know, we've yeah. kind of like forced people into like, okay, this is how you're going to buy coffee now, you know, almost in yeah. a way. And we do it here to some extent where like we kind of navigated away from using like the terms like latte and cappuccino and we say espresso and milk because that's essentially what it is. Yeah. Um, more or less of a way to kind of start a dialogue and also to kind of demystify the, the, the menu a little bit. Um, but even in like practice, I've noticed that like, you know, we still fall back on those terms and those terminology because people are still familiar with that kind of stuff. Totally. But or I would they'll s- ask for a grande something. Maybe. Yeah, totally. Totally. <laughs> and like, you have to like, then like interpret what that means. And yeah. like, sometimes like you'll, people ask for something, you're like, I literally don't know what that means. And other times you're just like, okay, I do know what that means and I'll just make it, you know. Right, I will translate this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I would say that the industry itself has changed a lot more and kind of the service to um, like the general guests has changed a lot. And then also the coffee shop itself has changed more so than the ordering. But if I had to be general, I would say that like drinks have gotten smaller, um, like smaller and less syrup, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing that we started doing uh, post-pandemic is put in people's like cream and sugar instead of drip coffee. And I was actually pretty surprised by how little people use sugar in our space, at least. Yeah. Um, definitely milk still. And I feel like milk with coffee makes a lot of sense. I think that sugar is kind of the one, not divide, so to speak, but I think that's kind of where, again, you're kind of kind of starting to enhance the flavor um, that could be there just from the roasting process. Um, milk really adds a kind of a textural element that you really can't get through roasting. So I can see like that element of it. And right. it also is a nice pairing to coffee. Whereas sugar, you know, their coffee comes from fruit, so it already has inherent sweetness in it. So it's almost like, not to say to someone adding sugar is a slap in the face, but it's like that is something to be desired or something to be achieved through roasting. Right. Um, so I don't really take it as a slight. It's just more so like it's like a interesting chef than, seeing someone salt their food. <laughs> exactly. That's a great way to that's a great way to think about it. Yeah. And I think that um, you know, in that same vein, you know, to then like be in charge of putting that in for people, and I notice like, oh, now people are actually using it. It was right. definitely a good like signifier. Like, okay, cool. Like, there must be some good balance in this coffee if people yeah. not to use it as much. So that's, that's always a good like like pat on the back a little bit, you know. Yeah, that's such a good sign. So, how did you? I guess I wanted to ask too, like when you decided to open this place. Like, what elements of everything we're talking about, you know, from the the boho and the and what elements did you want this coffee shop to have, and el- what elements did you kind of like? want to stay away from that you had seen in the industry? Yeah, that's a great question. I think that to be very general, um, you know, again, um, Ann Fortune is my business partner. Her and I had been working together um, in 2007 at a place called Blue House where we first met. And then some of the crew from that space went on to open up Charmingtons in 2010. Nice. And Ann was part of that project as well. And as I was kind of phasing out of that, um, you know, she let me know that like, hey, if you're ever interested in doing something like this again or want to collaborate with something, like, let me know. And I had to kind of go through my own journey and like kind of learn what I needed to learn. But right. when I got back to Baltimore, it was very much like, okay, I think I'm ready to do this. And she was kind of the first person that I reached out to to kind of see if we could do it together. And I think when I told her about what I wanted to do, because at that point I had seen like a bunch of different types of coffee shops and like I'm sure. had so many ideas and had so many conversations about what I'm going to do when I open up my coffee shop and really kind of boiled down to like, I just wanted things to be very simple in terms of like the approach to coffee. You know, I wanted us internally to have like a big focus on, you know, the product itself, but I wanted the, um, the service of it to be very simple and be very straightforward. 
I had found that like my best experiences and best, you know, memorable experiences are always in spaces that just felt very comfortable. Yeah. And so it was like, how do we get people to feel comfortable in a space that can make people feel very uncomfortable? Because yeah. the last shop I worked at in Baltimore was like a very uncomfortable space where mm-hmm. you're trying to elevate the product so much that people walk in and they're just like, I just wanted a cup of they're coffee. They're so intimidated. I did not come in here for a fine dining experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're sitting there wearing a bow tie and they're like, what is going on? You know? Yeah. Um, so it, I just wanted yeah. to do something like kind of the other direction of that because I felt like when I was working in Baltimore last, I was working in that kind of environment of trying to elevate it so much that it almost kind of became a caricature of sorts. Right. And it was just like, we are just making coffee here. Wait, like, let's yeah. just like bring it back down to earth a little bit. Yeah. So I like that pendulum <clears throat> swing is going that, that way now. Like, yeah, that, you know, you get to like a hipster bubble where it's yeah. going to burst at some point. And, yeah. and, and of course it is hard work and it is really delicious, but you know, I, I think about this a lot when we talk about beer and, and cocktails too. It's like at the end of the day, you're making beer. Yeah. You're having fun in a bar. You're, you know, it's a hard work, but there is a level where people can take it too seriously. Totally. And yeah that, yeah, that can translate to the customer too. I agree. Yeah. And I think that that just makes a poor experience for everybody involved. You know, poor for me, poor for you. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you kind of start becoming kind of bitter and then they're kind of bitter. And you're yeah. just like, what are we all, <laughs> what are we doing here exactly? So, <laughs> what is this energy? I don't like it. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, it's kind of thinking about being in the space at all times. You know, I was like, you obviously want to create a space that you want to be in. So for me, it's like, everyone's, you know, you're able to talk to someone. And I've had great conversations with people that I've, you know, have served coffee to where it's like, what do you do? And you're like, oh, I'm like, I have a really interesting XYZ, job. this yeah. person of this, this, that, the other thing. You're just like, whoa, we're just having a conversation right now. And I've always loved yeah. that aspect of like, we can meet across the bar, have a quick conversation. In the morning, people are very disarmed. Like they're not like themselves just yet. Like they haven't like put on their armor or like yeah. had their, you know, been in their space just yet. They're like just about to get into that. And you kind of get this really nice little window of like just catching somebody in their in-between time of like leaving the house before they go to work. Right. Of, um, you know, just them as themselves. You totally know. pure. And, yeah, kind of yeah. pure in a way. Maybe like holding the way to what they have to do for the day. Maybe holding the way from what happened the day before. But definitely in like a weird in-between zone before like they really have had their day. And then to like have this like, you know, accelerant to kind of like boost them into that is kind of a fun experience to have. Um, so definitely having that like ability to have connections with people, having the equipment very low, being able to talk across the bar. We didn't want people to walk into a transaction. I want people to walk into an interaction. Mm-hmm. Um, we wanted to be able to draw people into the space. And we also wanted to make sure that the baristas felt comfortable working in the space just as much as the customers did. There was very much like a notion of like, oh, we can get like two more seats in. And it's just like, well, what's the purpose of doing that? Yeah. If like, we're like, can that be used elsewhere? Is that better used, you know, for um, the back of house space versus the front of house space? And the design of the bar really much dictated that. Um, we had it designed a lot differently before, where it's very much prioritizing the guest experience and some of the barista. And we feel like this scenario was very much like 50-50 in terms yeah. of like the baristas have like the lay of the land behind there to do their thing. And then also the people have like the lay of their land to do what they need to do also too. And the yeah, interaction yeah. between the two can feel like pretty seamless. Totally. It has a really good flow and um, I don't know. That's a good a good vibe in here for yeah. sure. Um, do you know most people's coffee orders? Is it harder to know people's coffee orders when they're wearing masks? <laughs> Has that affected you at all? Yeah, I mean, you know, the masks have been definitely challenging recognizing people. I think particularly when we had like the month or two or month and a half or so we were shut down and like re- reintroducing yourself to people as their new selves with this mask on, which is kind yeah. of like, oh, there you are. <laughs> I've had a few people like like close people that I know who like. I've been around and I'm like, I have no idea who you are until I like really kind of so like look crazy. at them for a while. Yeah. So that's been definitely different. But um, yeah, I mean, definitely people who come in every day. I know their order for sure. We have a lot of regulars that come in almost every morning. Uh, I try my best to know people's like, at least like their names or their faces or mm-hmm. their order. Uh, I think I'm very like familiar with a lot of people because, you know, it is my space. And I feel like if you're walking into my space yeah. in general, I should be very familiar with you because you're here in my space. Yeah. But, I try my best to know people's names and orders. Um, I do get tripped up every now and then. I think people probably give more credit than I actually deserve, <laughs> but I think I do pretty well to make people feel like we know each other. And I think that's been a skill that I've had to develop for like many different reasons in my life that has been very useful, you know, in this business for sure. That's that's so cool. There is like, I don't know. I love the aspect of coming into a place, seeing seeing the owner of that place, like knowing them and and they just start making your drink right away. Like there's yeah. something about that that's that's really cool. Yeah, it's something I definitely want to keep, you know, as a element of coming in here. So I think I get excited when I go to 
a restaurant or a bar and you see the person who like is the person, so to speak. Yeah. And you're like, oh, wow, like they're you're here. Like, this is crazy, you know? And obviously with pseudo being that person for our space, um, I also know that there's so much other things you need to do. Oh, totally. And so like just kind of being there to be that person is something that's important, but it's also like, but I also no. have like a list of 12 things I haven't done oh, today that I need to get to right now. So that's why I'm finding that balance is like number one for sure. If I see owners in their yeah. spaces, I'm, I'm extra impressed because yeah. I'm just like, I know there's so much other stuff you could be definitely doing take right advantage now. of it. If you do, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> people, people definitely do. Well, speaking of other <laughs> stuff, um, I know that you, before the pandemic, you were roasting, um, your beans in New York, right? Um, um we were what, sourcing coffee from sourcing New York. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, from New yeah York, that was roasting in New York. Yeah. Said. And then that kind of changed. So do you want to tell people sort of where you get your coffee from? Yeah. And- yeah. So, um, we were sourcing coffee, roasted coffee from partners coffee in New York city out of Brooklyn. I worked with them for a couple of years. That was kind of our initial connection with them of some, you know, old friends and coworkers that they really hadn't had their coffee in this area before. So for me, my background in coffee before opening up the shop was working in coffee as a barista, as a cafe manager, and then eventually as a barista trainer. Um, And then kind of a wholesale kind of educator was kind of my last role with partners where I would go to a coffee shop or a restaurant or a bakery that had a coffee program, train with their staff talk about their setup, dialing their coffees, all that kind of stuff. So I felt very capable coming into this that I could like manage at least from like the cafe management standpoint and maybe a little bit more than that. So that kind of gave us a little more flexibility who we could work with because a lot of the benefit of working with the roaster is getting their support, their training, their technical support and all that kind of stuff. So, so once the pandemic hit and New York was kind of like the first like major city that was like really taking a huge hit, it kind of became like, all right, like I'm not going to drive to New York to get the coffee if we need to. So we should find somewhere a little bit, a little bit closer to be able to drive to. And that's where Little Amps Coffee kind of came into play. We had worked with them for about a month in October 2019. Okay. And built a really solid rapport with them and started going up to Harrisburg to hang out with them. And they were coming down this way. And so it was a natural progression to start working with them. And one thing that happened when we first shut down for that month or so, we were dark. People were asking to buy coffee. And I was just like, well, we don't have... <laughs> We're not buying coffee from anybody else. So like, you know, just buy from them. Like they have people they need support. So just yeah. buy straight from them. And there had been kind of a notion about roasting coffee before, but nothing really specific. And it's not a role that I've ever had before in coffee, but I've always been adjacent to. And just the the pandemic kind of just nudged us in that direction of just like, hey, we need to find another revenue stream. Now might be a good time to focus and invest on this. You know, right. I was kind of restless a little bit and looking for something new to kind of sink my teeth into in terms of a um, a discipline. And, you know, we talked with the folks at Little Amps and they were pretty down for us to actually learn with them on how to roast, you know, kind of in their kind of style and their equipment and then kind of use their facilities whenever they're not using it in order to set up our own roasting facilities or our own roasting program. So, yeah, we've been doing that for, couldn't tell you specifically, but I feel like around six months or so now. And currently we're actually sourcing coffee through different importers. Uh, We haven't really jumped the shark yet of doing any kind of direct sourcing. Um, That world is way larger than running a little coffee shop. Yeah, uh, I've been trying my best to tiptoe into it, which is not my style to kind of just like tiptoe into something. <laughs> I usually try to like deep dive into it. Yeah, But kind of given that it's, you know, another hat that I'm wearing on top of other hats with the business and basically based on the needs, what the shop needs, I'm like kind of maintaining it in that way. I think that the uh, coffee industry is a large, you know, like many industries has a pretty assorted past and, you know, a pretty yeah. colonial past to it also too. Um, and present as well. You know, I think it's, it's incorrect to think about the colonization of coffee as something that happens in the past because it's still happening now. Um, so there, there is all kinds of contradictions and, um, um, hard things to kind of get around within the industry. But at the same time, I think that working within it, looking for those opportunities of, you know, leveling the playing field or creating some equity or creating connections that go above and beyond, the current, you know, uh, connections or the current pathways. Yeah. Trying to get more direct, trying to go above what the standards are, all that kind of stuff is something kind of- Compensate for the flaws. Totally. And, you know, trying to create a better standard moving forward, I think is kind of, you know, where I find myself, or feel like I would like to exist in, along with a lot of other people who are doing the same work, if not more, much more work than that. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm curious what your coffee order is. And like, you know, I know this is, such a broad question for someone whose life is coffee, but what sort of flavor profiles you gravitate towards, uh, you know, just personally and, and yeah. what you're drinking right now, I guess. Yeah. Well, or not current- even right now, but just oh, okay. like in life. In yeah. life. Got it. <laughs> Heard. Um, 
I am a pretty simple person in many different ways, but I like to just drink drip coffee, which mm -hmm. is just a standard American black drip coffee. Um, I've kind of honed my way into that. It'd be my standard coffee thing just through starting off with like large hazelnut lattes and kind of honing down to that. But the process of doing trainings and tasting coffee a lot for calibration has kind of got me to just like, like that flavor of coffee. And I feel like there's so much to tasting coffee that it's just such an interesting thing just by itself. Yeah. Uh, so that's my go-to. Um, if I'm feeling frisky, I will go for a shot of espresso. Okay. Um, I also like espresso for the same reasons, but you know, there is a palette of espresso that can be kind of intense. I think again, through like tasting a lot of espresso and through evaluating, you know, my brain kind of looks past the intensity and can kind of like explode it apart a little bit and kind of be more dynamic about the different flavors I'm tasting. Um, but in terms of like actual enjoyment, I love just like a cup of drip coffee. I think yeah. it's the best thing in the world. Yeah. Keeping it simple. Yeah. And that's obviously black, I assume. Just black. Yeah. yeah. Unless, unless if it needs something, I mean, you know, sometimes you need to add a little milk in there, there you, you know, go. I mean, sometimes that's just kind of what, what happens. I mean, I, I try my best. I try my best to make coffee that doesn't need milk or sugar in it. But, you know, if you drink coffee and it needs some milk, add some milk in there. I think yeah. milk is a great compliment to coffee. It definitely helps to, like, round out some flavors that might be undesirable for you, for your palate, um, or just elevate the drink, too, when it comes down to it, especially for espresso. Yeah. Where espresso has that. Kind of mellow it out. Um, yeah. And espresso has that intensity and that concentration that can actually really balance out with milk to where you're still tasting the coffee. You're not covering up the full flavor of the coffee with the milk. You're kind of expanding it out or kind of, you know, um, uh, complimenting it in a way. Yeah, totally. Do you have like an amazing home bar coffee setup, or is that? <laughs> I wish leave, I did. Do you leave that here, and when you go home, I leave it here. Yeah. It's just like one of those things where, like, when you go home, you don't want to work, you know. Totally. So, like, I don't want to look at anything fancy when I go home. I mean, I do have coffee set up at home, but I probably make coffee at my house like once a month, maybe. Yeah. Like very, very seldom. I mean, I'm very much here at the shop. Uh, or if I have like a day off, I like to get coffee made for me by somebody else. So I'll go to like another shop or completely. I could, you know, I could see that or just take a break. I mean, often on my days off, I'm just not drinking coffee. I mean, I still really enjoy drinking it, but I think just because it is work, it does become a nice thing to kind of take a break from it a little bit. Yeah. Um, but back to like flavors. I mean, I really love coffees that exist in like a more complex continuum or have like developing flavors. Like some coffees will open up as they cool down in the same ways that a wine would open up as That's you like, cool. you know, have it aerated for a bit or have it oxygenated for a bit too. Um, I tend to find that like African coffees really kind of resonate for me. So coffee from Kenya, Rwanda, Burundi, that kind of stuff where they have a little bit of body to them, but also some nice complexity in the sugars and also in the acidity. Um, Colombia is probably another really like high up there, like favorite origin um, of just. Even I know that one. <laughs> yeah, I mean Colombia. I mean everyone knows like you know Juan Valdez on the donkey. Right. You know, I mean, yeah. everyone has that 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 visual, um, and they still pretty hold on to that a little bit. Um, Colombian Colombia coffee is like very much like a pinnacle and very much a um, a specific thing, almost like you know champagne in France. Right. You know? Uh, and you know with the high elevation, the soil content over there, the varieties, just like the depths of like knowledge and history of coffee production in that area just produces some really amazing coffees uh so yeah i like things that like make you think things that you know yeah. as you're sipping them you're kind of like whoa what's that whoa what's that whoa what's that yeah and then uh you know or if it's like throughout the day kind of daily driver anything that has just nice balance and like sugars and acidity and body is usually kind of a go-to and that's more or less the two coffees we try to provide on bar here one that's just like a here you go. Here's a cup of coffee. You're going to enjoy this just as is or with milk or sugar or whatever. Right. And then a coffee that's like kind of like, okay, cool. This might make you stop a little bit and think about it or be like, what was that? That I just drank, you know? Yeah. I like kind of existing in those two worlds. That's so interesting because something I did notice if you're over in Europe, people just, they don't even sit down. They just stand yeah. <laughs> and then take their shot of yeah. espresso and then go about their yeah. day. Whereas the second wave of coffee you were talking about was like about lingering over the cup of coffee yeah. and sitting on the couch and getting comfortable. And so it's so interesting how I guess we can still experience coffee drinks both of those ways, depending on yep. what we're looking for. Yeah, I think that's like the American like touch to the European style of like espresso yeah. came about because people were like, I need to go. Like, I don't have time to drink a whole cup of drip coffee. Yes. I need all my coffee and like a two ounce thing. I need to get out of here. Yeah. And then we're just like, especially out on the West Coast where it kind of started. It's like, totally. Hey, let's just hang out in this comfy sofa for a little bit. You know, yeah. let's make a little big, big, big milky drink, you know? <laughs> Uh, so yeah, it's been funny. It's been, it's been fun kind of existing in the continuum of like the coffee culture here in the States. And where do you sort of see, like, 
I'm curious if you think of Baltimore as a coffee town and if that's shifted at all. And like, where do you sort of see the coffee scene? Obviously, the pandemic has thrown a wrench yeah. into whatever the trend was going to be. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> who knows? Who we'll knows? Never know. Right. But do you think Baltimore is a coffee town or ever could be? Or I think so. I mean, I think Baltimore is a mini, it's a town of mini talents. You know, I feel yeah. like that's kind of been the chip on the city's shoulder for a while. And I'm not from here, so I don't want to talk for the full city, obviously. But in my experience of like, people who have like tried to do things here or get to a certain level. And then like once we to a different, you know, demographic, I mean, I was one of those people who was kind of just like, there's more out there. Let me go see what's out. Yeah. But I always kind of had the notion of like, but like this place is so cool. And like, I want to be here and like, this is where I know. And like, I want to bring what I know or what I find from out there, like back to over here. And there's always been some kind of like coffee element here in the city since I've lived here. It definitely has shifted and changed to where like when I first moved into the city in like 2000, seven or so like you know daily grind down in fells point was yep. like the place to go to um and now i'm not even sure if it's still down there anymore you know it is yep. oh it is there yep. you go cool <laughs> bob's your uncle um yeah so yeah so I, I think in that in that way in terms of like you know where places are i think again the style of the, of the shops and everything too has definitely shifted i mean it's a hard industry i think food in general to kind of maintain a space and keep it going definitely so obviously that's just kind of like the passage of time like spro and hamden i think was another spot that when it first opened up was like whoa, like they're taking coffee like in a much different way. Yeah. Like what are they doing over there? Very different. And they just closed down recently yeah. too. And I think that's just, you know, the 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 longevity of working in an industry and a job that's like generally seven days a week, maybe not 365, but some people push pretty it, close. you know. Yeah. We get pretty close. We get to like around like 360 days, like 360, <sighs> definitely the high 350s for sure. And um, yeah, it gets kind of tiring after a while. So I think in, in that that notion of things kind of just turning over. Yeah. But there's always been some kind of element here in the city. Um, you know, it's kind of hard to compare it, obviously, to like other markets. But in my experience of being in L.A. and also New York, um, you know, you have much more coffee shops, obviously, in those two markets. But, you know, the you're still kind of like in like one shop or another shop. Like you're not really like existing in all of like LA coffee or all of New York coffee. Right, right. You might be like in Brooklyn or you might be in like Bed-Stuy or Williamsburg, mm -hmm. you know, or in LA, you might be in like Echo Park or Silver Lake. But to experience it all at the same time is pretty hard. Whereas like here, it's like you could like... You could do like a coffee tour in a easily, day. Easily, yeah. Okay. You could come here and you can go over to Hamden. You can go downtown. Yeah. I mean, you can go hit up all the great coffee spots in Baltimore. And there's a ton, you know, there so... Are. I would definitely say we're a coffee town, but I think that like, you know, Baltimore never really makes the same splash as, you know, other cities do, mm -hmm. but that's kind of what I love about it. I don't think it wants to though. <laughs> we, we definitely don't. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's why I love it too. And yeah. I think I always feel conflicted with the job that I have because I want to talk about these places and highlight them. And, yeah. But then I also like want to keep these secrets for myself sometimes. Totally. Like yeah. Baltimore <laughs> is that like one big secret. Yeah. Um, and so it's just that town that like, it's so fun to discover stuff because there is always totally. something new to, to see. And I feel like we can always like tell the secrets here because it's like, you still have to like come here, you know what oh, I mean? Yeah. So it's like, oh, I think- I can tell my friends that live in Baltimore, but I get scared to say it really loud because I don't want it to get ruined Oh, it's fine. People are, people are afraid to come here anyway, so. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> That's true. Let the bad rap keep exactly. them away. Exactly. Well, we know the truth. He's just at a nice like even keel here, you know, like- Totally. The wire did some good for us. You yeah. know, we got some other stuff going on that's definitely not the wire but let everybody have their own opinions until they yeah. come here so we don't want to get too big of a head yeah totally um <laughs> and i should mention so um chris actually contributed a recipe for a Ooh, yeah. baltimore recipe book that is coming out i believe we're targeting labor day um and my friend joe giordano previous podcast guest um took a bunch of photographs of people in the back of house in kitchens and bars and coffee shops and we published recipes and 100% of the proceeds are going to the Baltimore Restaurant Relief Fund. Um, and what I thought was cool was that you contributed a coffee cocktail yeah. recipe. And so I just wanted to A, plug that because it's very <laughs> important to contribute to the Relief Fund. But um, B, I wanted to just ask about like I, I had an espresso martini recently because yeah. those are coming back. I mean, what is <laughs> what is the relationship between coffee and cocktails that you see? And do you like sort of toying with those those elements together? Yeah, I think that whenever there's an opportunity to do it, I love it. I think in general of like the day to day inside of the shop, I'm always trying to like look at efficiency and like speed to a certain extent of like how fast can we go also maintaining a certain level of quality. Yeah. So a lot of our drinks on bar tend to be like very quick, like two components, three components, maybe a quick measure here, maybe a quick way out over here. 
Um, but everything's very streamlined. Yeah. Um, so like right now I'm drinking uh, our current beverage on our summer drink menu, the hibiscus coffee mule. And that's really just finding a great ingredient like the Q tonics or Q mixer, hibiscus, ginger um, base, and then making our own base of um, a coconut water infused um, cold brew. And kind of like those are two parts. Boom, there goes your drink. Amazing. We've had a couple experiences of having like less um, time sensitive service like at night or later on in the day or, for instance, for the recipe book, like you mentioned. And it's always fun to use coffee as an ingredient in you know something else to kind of try to elevate it or to show its versatility um we haven't really ever like played around with the flavors of specific espresso too too much but yeah. there is a huge um, history of that through barista competitions where there's always generally a not always generally there's generally a uh a signature drink yeah. uh, component to it to where the barista has to then take their coffee they've been serving as just straight coffee coffee with milk and then use that as an ingredient to elevate it, you know, based on the flavor profile inside of the coffee itself. So oh, cool. there's always an element there. And I feel like baristas, you know, and bartenders, there's always like that kind of like synergy between the two. I often feel like a daytime bartender yeah, behind I bar. Yeah, I was just going to say you're like a morning bartender. Yeah, <laughs> and I think you have that same kind of rapport or similar, not the same, but a similar kind of rapport with people. I like my rapport where it's a lot healthier, calmer, <laughs> calmer and healthier <laughs> and uh, quicker. Um but I think there's always been that kind of like general um, synergy between the two, you know, cocktail bartender, barista. We definitely take a lot of cues from that industry. Totally. I think both industries have kind of like, you know, been pushed and more to the forefront of people's minds, you know, around the same time period in the same way as draft, you know, um, craft beer and right. everything else in the craft um, beverage industry. Yeah. So it's all really hand in hand, I think. But for me personally, it really kind of goes into, um, you know, the element of where I'm serving it, you know. So it's always like, where, you know, it might be great to do this drink that has like 10 components to it, but it's like, who are we serving it to? How are we serving it? What happens if someone orders five of those, you know? Yeah. So always trying to think about, you know, flavor, but also um, efficiency at the same time too. Yeah, that makes sense. Which just is just a different, you know, a different way of approaching it to where maybe you're infusing something, maybe you're making, you know, bases, maybe you're, um, you know, doing more of the work ahead of time versus the work, you know, at the moment Yeah. while you're building a drink. Right. You can't really, like when you're just trying to get people in and out of the door you can't totally. really experiment um, yeah you don't want like one person who's like experimental in the morning to then like make someone who behind them who's just trying to get a drip coffee yeah. like make them have to wait you know five hours while you're like fiddling through totally. <laughs> a person. that makes sense yeah well speaking of i thought we could wrap up with just like a little rapid fire that cool. i try to do at the end of every podcast and i know things are so just to let people know like what is your open status right now are you right now we are carry out only okay um we do have access to a courtyard which is behind our space outdoor courtyard it's actually Faden Sanen's um beer garden space yeah that part of the impetus of us being here on the space this property with them and larder was the aspect of like you know kind of having different phases of the day so to speak and kind of using utilizing totally. shared communal you know um, elements of the space also too so the courtyard is definitely that one part of it where no one's really back there in the daytime at all like the beer garden is closed obviously larder should really close now at this point um so our guests can go back there to use that space which is a amazing outdoor space like especially right now to have access to that is like really really amazing and very secluded and kind of like tucked away a little bit too. Uh, other than that, you know, we have people wearing masks still inside of our space. We're kind of keeping our space is only 700 square feet. Yeah. Um, and we have a pretty low capacity. Um, so we've been pretty cautious kind of throughout this whole entire period where at one point there was like one person at a time or one party at a time. Yeah. Now we have more of a free flow of like, as long as you have a mask on, you can kind of come and go into space as you feel free to. And we kind of keep the door open, the windows open, air flowing throughout the space, try to keep like, you know, as much of a open air environment yeah, as possible. Doing the best That's just kind of where we are right now. But we'll probably be doing that for a while. I mean, it feels for us the most comfortable way for us to be able to provide the experience we want for folks while still maintaining a safe environment for ourselves. Um, I think that like, obviously there's been a huge notion for people that have been working on the forefront of this time period yeah. of trying to feel like you can maintain your sense of self while providing the service to somebody else who right. is also trying to maintain their sense of self too. And I think that that kind of tug of war between like, you know, who takes more precedence in this moment um, has kind of just made me feel like we should just drop the rope, you know? So yeah. we're just trying our best to make sure that things feel good on both sides. Listen to our team, uh, listen to ourselves, listen to like what makes sense and kind of go forward in that way. But, you know, for the business end, we're super fortunate in that coffee is very amendable, you know, to this time period. Yeah. Way more than most bars or restaurants have been able That's to be. True. 
we started off really small and scrappy. We kind of maintained that that notion. So we super lucked out. I think just kind of keeping a very simple concept and keeping things small has worked out well for us. Yeah. And uh, we're kind of just writing that out. You know, we rolled the dice and it came up on, you know, sixes or whatever game yeah. we're playing. There is so much of it that's like... It's all happenstance, yeah, you know, it's just kind of yeah. like, you know, where you were when it started and, you know, the tenacity you have to kind of get to where you need to get to throughout the process. And luckily for us, you know, we had designed the space in a certain kind of way that allowed us to kind of pivot really quickly. And um, we have set up the business in a way that allows us to operate in this kind of capacity for as long as we need to. So yeah, that's that is very fortunate. I'm glad to yeah. know that you guys are doing OK, too, because it's, you know, you sometimes wonder uh, without when you can't when you're not checking in with everyone, you're just like, is, is everything going okay? And are we yeah. going to lose some of our favorite spots that we don't even realize are in trouble? And, and that was something that we noticed like early on too, is that people yeah. were very attentive to like, Hey, what do you need? Hey, like we're here. And I think that's great. particularly for us, it only been open for about nine months or so when yeah. it all started, it was kind of just like cool to see some of the systems that you hope were clicking into place start to work a little bit, particularly when help outside of that wasn't really coming down the pipeline anytime soon. Right. There's a lot of uncertainty. Uh, but then I think that, you know, the exchange felt very, very mutual, you know, when people like were like, well, I need this thing. And you're just like, I need your money. So it's like, <laughs> right. let's go, you know. You want to know what would help? Just come yeah. support us. Yeah. And then, you know, and then we're like, we can do this, but only if you like wait outside and you might have to wait for like a half an hour. Right. And also like when I serve you, it's going to be really fast because I have to wait on the person behind you who also waited for half an hour. Yeah. It's going to be and a different experience. This people are not... just cool with that. And I think that oh, that, that, uh, that equal exchange of like, I noticed that you're doing this for a certain reason. I'm trying to get my thing. Let's just make this happen and work through this. Yeah. And that was really how we got through like the big, the biggest brunt of it all. And I think now just kind of like, okay, like we know like what makes sense for us to do and like what feels good for us to do. This is just what we're doing now. Right. And like, New if reality. you're down for that, cool. If not, then like, that's fine. You know? Yeah. We're kind of just in that zone at the moment. I remember I interviewed a bartender in New Orleans and I was like, mm. what's your advice for people, you know, returning, coming back to the bar. This was, you know, every time has been such a weird time, but he yeah. said, you know, my biggest piece of advice is don't walk in and expect the same place that yeah. you had before, whether it's the flow of the room, the service model, totally. people's moods. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, everything is completely different. So don't just think I can go back to my favorite bar stool and sit down and order my go-to drink. Like yeah. things are just different. And I feel like as people are engaging, you know, I mean, I, I can't talk in totality, but I've, what, from what I've observed in my little corner of Baltimore, my little corner of the world is that people are starting to catch on. And like, that's one nice thing that I've been able to observe throughout the pandemic with being able to interact with people in some kind of way even before it was like through glass like literally in like a yeah. like a like a fish tank yeah um is that you know people it does take some time but then eventually it does start clicking in for folks and like you have to like particularly as a person who's like observing it you got to give it some time for like it to like manifest um outwardly in a way so let's do the uh, rapid fire okay i was like was that rapid fire because that was not rapid fire at all <laughs> this rapid is what fire, ends up happening sometimes 20 minute answers here rapid we go rapid fire doesn't turn into yes yeah. um okay so <laughs> but so but the reason i wanted to set it up this way is because when i ask about bestseller mm -hmm. i wonder if that's always the bestseller or is it the bestseller right now because you guys are takeout like uh, i see what you mean yeah, yeah yeah yeah. so what what is the thing that like is the most common flies off the shelves pays the bills yeah most people are espresso getting? milk so people love espresso drinks that's like one thing specific can get in a coffee shop most people don't have an espresso machine at home yeah so that's probably usually our number one seller's espresso drinks um in the summertime iced coffee kind of like creeps, creeps up yeah, in there yeah, a little yeah. bit more because another pandemic um you know, epiphany, if you want to call it that, was kind of formatting or going to large format things. So mm -hmm. doing growlers for iced coffee. We make all of our iced coffee um, in a hot process, actually, over top of ice. And then we cake it. So oh, it's super cool. easy for us to, like, fill up a growler from a keg. You yeah. know, the same way you would for, you know, at a beer garden or whatever else it might be. So that definitely has, like, creeped up. Um, after we started roasting coffee, that's been, like, the next thing after that. Okay. But espresso, like, espresso kills milk. always, like, hot, cold across the board, people want espresso. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, what was the biggest surprise? So something, this could be something that you thought no one would like and everyone loved or just turned out completely differently to you or. Whoa, wow. How can I find one surprise? I've been surprised <laughs> so by literally everything here. Like everything's a surprise to me. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think about my most recent surprise. Uh, wow. You really stumped me because I'm like, everything's like this a surprise to me. This people. I know, because I'm just like, literally everything. Like, literally anything. I mean, okay, one thing I can say for sure was, um, so we designed the bar in a certain kind of way. I had a very, like, idealistic view of how people would interact with the bar. 
And I assumed that people would, or I assumed we'd be able to get people to like not walk immediately to the register because it's actually pretty far away from when you walk in. Oh, like, you yeah. have to like walk like pretty much halfway into the space before you get to the register. Yeah. And the first day that we opened, and also the first day we reopened, but the first day we opened, people instead of lining up along the bar like I'd hoped, started lining up at the register back to the back wall, huh. which like goes into the seating. Yeah, yeah. And I was just like, why are people doing this? <laughs> like yeah. in my brain, I was like, there's one way for this to work. And I thought that we had designed it like for that intuitiveness to it and just like didn't click for like a while and then eventually did. And then once it did, it was like, cool, people got it now. And then obviously everything changed. And then, <laughs> <laughs> and then we actually moved the register to the door because that just made sense for, you know, making the space super small. So yeah. people, people were literally walking right in and right back out. And then we moved the back to where it was. We were just like, okay, I'm here. And they started standing in the area right at the door. We didn't want them to stand in. So it's been pretty funny trying to like, again, that whole notion of like, you designed it in your head. You had right. the whole idea of how people are going to interact with it. And then like people will just do whatever makes sense for them, you know, intuitively. And I think that has always been surprising to me how people decide to interact with their space. Yeah. yeah. So when in doubt, stay close to the bar, basically. You know, I mean, I think that it comes into like a, like we just got to be in open communication with everybody. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get you the coffee wherever you are. And you know, with the space, with the bar being basically the entire space inside of here, it makes it pretty easy to meet people where, wherever they end up yeah. going to. They so. can't go too far in here. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, and what, so we talked about what your coffee order is. It's the drip coffee, mm -hmm. but I didn't know if there was a personal favorite, like if it's what you're drinking now, kind of the specialty thing mm. or something that you have on the menu you're, you're really excited about that. Ooh, um, I'm pretty stoked about the drip coffee at the moment, mainly because now we have a deeper dive into like roasting the coffee and sourcing it. So I feel like for me personally, I get the most pride of like a drip coffee because that's like, all right, cool. Like we sourced the right coffee. Yeah. I roasted it. All right. And didn't mess it up. Um, cause really in my mind, you can only really mess up the coffee and you're roasting it. So I'm like, all right, I got, I did that part. Okay. And like we have our system set up to where it's like being brewed properly also too. Um, outside of that, I really love the espresso and tonic, which was a drink that again, like super combo, like it's espresso over top of tonic water. Like we don't make the tonic water. It's Q mixers again. They're yeah. like, we tasted through a couple different tonic waters and that was the one that just like fit the bill the most. And it was a drink that like people were just like, what is this? And then now it's like, people are like, oh my God, like I love the espresso in time. Wow. Like that's my drink. So it's been cool to kind of see that drink like become more popular Yeah. because it initially was something that I just wanted on the menu. It's something that I thought was kind of cool. It was on our special menu initially. And then it was just like, I like this. So I'm going to put it on the menu. And then it was like, now people like come here specifically for so that. So into it. Fun. Yeah. People love their bubbles. Yeah. It's fun. It's, it's just crazy. fun. It's fun to have bubbles in your drink. Yeah. Yeah. Especially in the summer. It's like so refreshing. Totally. And the, the coconut water cold brew sounds fantastic. Yeah. That's yeah. That really was a drink good. that um, I figured out with uh, our buddy Aeon, who is a bartender yeah. over at um, Dutch Courage. Aeon also in the recipe book. Ooh, yes. cool. They have really amazing palate and taste and everything too. So yeah, we were working on something different and came up with that idea of like infusing coconut, like really, oh, I wonder if you can use coconut water to make cold brew. And just yeah. like, turns out you can, you know? And uh, it just adds a really interesting element to the cold brew. Like it kind of rounds it out where you could probably use a couple different types of coffee and it probably produce the same overall flavor because it is pretty strong, but it does kind of elevate it into this really lush kind of chocolate body. Yeah. Adds a lot of like velvetiness to it too. And it allows it to kind of stand up against, you know, the ginger beer we put it together with, which has like obviously a lot of spiciness and also another element of hibiscus. So it's almost like too busy. Yeah. But because the coconut cold brew kind of has like that base tone and kind of body and just general kind of like sweetness to it, it really kind of helps to kind of balance it within that drink. No, that sounds um, fantastic. Yeah, so that was a really fun, like, just kind of like, let's put these things together and see how it works. Yeah. Kind of situation, yeah. So, I mean, you're making cocktails. You are. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, totally. I mean, I would um, I would say that, yeah, like, flavor is definitely, I think that, like, tasting and tasting stuff is fun. Like, I think mm -hmm. that tasting things is a lot of fun. I think that's my general, like, love of, like, food in general. It's just, like, yeah. kind of, like, that's just flavors part. and, like, wow, like, this tastes like this or this comes from that. And right. I think that... Uh, or this makes me remember this memory yeah. or this nostalgia or this piece of culture or whatever it's exactly yeah, exactly and then being able to then present it to someone in the same way that i've been presented things that i haven't thought haven't thought about before and they're just like whoa this is cool you know like i think just having having that experience with someone and kind of introducing them to a new profile or a new combination of flavors is always really fun i think whenever that can be 
in a coffee shop, which generally is probably not the place you're looking for that yeah. to happen, is always really cool too. Yeah, unexpected. Yeah. Um, and then last question, if COVID didn't exist and you could have sort of your ideal perfect night out in Baltimore or, or day, I mean, it could start in the morning because you're a coffee guy. Yeah. Um, but I generally ask people at night because this is a drinking podcast. <laughs> um, you know, where would you go? What would you do? What is? What are just some of your favorites? Um, it could be businesses. It could be things. It could be places. Yeah. So if COVID never existed, which would be a fun fantasy world to live in. I know. Uh, what if? What is that parallel universe like? <laughs> I would probably be dead from working too much. No, I'm joking. Um, <laughs> Because I still work too much afterwards, right, but it's exactly. fine. In a different way. Uh, smarter now, I suppose. But uh, we loved going to Comptoir before it converted into what it is now, which we still love as well. Um, but that was like one of my favorite places to go to for the same reason of just like, you know, we you know Will and Rosemary yeah. and Kelsey, of course, and just felt very comfortable and relaxed and like you're in someone's home. Um, I completely understand just, why you're not doing that oh, right I now. I completely get it too. Um, completely understand that. But it's I think that like for those space. of us who got a chance to experience that space and that style of service there, I think we'll probably be talking about that nostalgically for a very long time. Yeah. So that was just like a very, a very unique space in the city to have that kind of experience. I think it was something that um, I fell in love with that kind of experience in New York because you have all these like small hole in the wall yep. spaces that you stumble into and all of a sudden you're just like, what is happening in that kitchen? Yeah. And uh, that was kind of the vibe over there too. And um, I loved the space it used to be about like a couple of iterations ago. It was a music venue called Charm City Art Space. Oh, right. And I used to play in a band and we played our first show there. And so there's like that nostalgia oh, for me cool. also too of like, the first day we went there, I like wore like my old Trump CR space shirt and like just loved being in that space as like a new iteration That's of it also. So what did you play? Or what um, did you play? I did vocals in that band. It was okay. like a punk band. I played in for a couple years. Chris, you um, a punk band? I didn't know this. Yeah. That's a secret I try to keep hidden until oh, it just kind of comes out. Were you like screamo? Or yeah. Were you, nice. Yeah. Yeah. See, I knew you had a good projecting <laughs> voice. I knew there was something there. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was a lot, the... I was a lot more uh, upset, I guess, at some point. <laughs> I mean, we were also angsty back in the day about what? I don't know. Now, I don't know. I mean, now you think about it. Now it like, seems like there's nothing going on in my yeah. life at that time period versus now. <laughs> seriously. It's like, what do you have to complain about? Yeah. Oh, that's a fun fact. So yeah, yeah. that's cool. That space holds a lot of meaning for you. Yeah. So that, that that's high up there. So yeah, definitely like going there, getting a good uh, tasty bite. And um, I hate to keep it so local, but you know, kind of my life becomes very localized in this way. But the I haven't been since they reopened it, but the wine bar at Fadin Sana was like, just like the dopest, like cozy little spot, like yeah. in my mind in this like fantasy world with no COVID. It's like, you know, like fall, it's kind of brisk in the air. We're like totally. at the comptoir, my partner Emily eating a dope meal over there, popping up over to the wine bar. It's like nice and frosty on the glass. We're like yeah. saddled up at the bar. Having, yeah. You know, so yeah. we love like low key, like quiet, um, intimate spaces was, um, you know, all the things you really can't do right now. <laughs> right, I know. That's, I was joking with a friend about that too because I'm just such a like sucker for a dive bar yeah. and like a small, dark hole yep. in a corner. Like, yep. That's yep. where I want to be. Yep. And those are the places that are probably the most dangerous. They're pretty hard to be in right now. But, yeah. you know, we can dream and think about them for, you know, yeah. yesteryear. And, you know, I hope that, uh, you know, as people kind of shift and pivot, we all kind of get back to a space that feels better than where we were before. Yeah. And I definitely feel like I'm, you know, trying to get to that space right now and less of like getting back to where I was and more so trying to figure out where am I going next and kind of taking the lessons that we had from before, all the lessons we're learning right now and kind of apply them to the future, so to speak. So yeah. even though I do lament for like old spaces like Comptoir, like I'm so excited to see that they found a model that makes sense for them and is more sustainable and more healthy for their lifestyles. And, you right. know, that's what you really want. You really want to feel like when you're in a space and someone's waiting on you that like there's an equal exchange of like this person's going to feel fulfilled at the end of this day and the same way you fulfilled at the end of the meal. You know, totally. I mean, that's the general hope, you know, in my, yeah. in my mind. Another quote that I loved um, from a story I worked on was happy chefs make better food. Yeah, totally. It goes for happy baristas, happy bartenders. Yeah. And if we can come through this after refocusing and reprioritizing some stuff yeah. and you guys and everyone and it is happier, it's better for everybody. So, yeah, I think that's a general hope. I mean, I think that's a, that's, that's a nice, that's, that's a, a nice, uh, yeah, a nice Pollyanna thing to end yeah. on. But I think it's something, it's, an, it's a nice North Star to kind of work towards. And I don't think that, you know, generally speaking, obviously, the, things can go wrong in either directions. Of course. So it's back to my, uh, my pessimistic mindset. I just <laughs> took a personality test. So that's all in my head right now. 
What did it um, say? You were a pessimist? No, not a pessimist, but I'm the kind of person that like thinks of worst case scenarios. Okay. So whenever I'm thinking about something, I, I, I automatically to jump the to the worst, worst case scenario. Thing. Yeah. Um, regardless if it's even like possible or feasible or not. But in general, I think if we're like working towards like equitability and like the people who are working there versus the people who are like coming to enjoy themselves. Yeah. Like ideally, if we're working towards that, there shouldn't be nothing but, you know, positive things along the way also. But yeah, we got a lot so. of work to do. You know, but I think we have For a lot sure. of people who are doing the work actively. Some who are doing it passively in some ways also too. But I think, you know, as our society and our culture kind of shifts, everything else will shift with it also too. Yeah. And it's very clear that we're in like a pretty seismic shifting period right now. So totally. it's just kind of waiting to see where things kind of settle back down at. Yeah. Time will, time will tell. It'll, it'll we'll be see. interesting. Well, in the meantime, if people want to support you um, and sophomore coffee, what's the best way just to come by? Come and into the shop. Yeah. yeah. We're uh 2223 Maryland Avenue, um, right on the corner. Uh, there's a big, huge coffee sign on the side of the building. Come down the stairs. Um, otherwise you won't know <laughs> we're down here. Um, yeah. Come into the shop. I mean, I think that we have online sales right now open up for our coffee so if you're not you know in baltimore and you're just listening to this from elsewhere you can order coffee from us online which is always super helpful and a nice surprise throughout the week uh but you know we very much set up the space to be enjoyed like here inside of the space so if you're able to come on through yeah that sounds great well thank you so much for doing this yeah, i know thank you're super you. busy and so i appreciate your time and thanks everybody for listening yeah thank you for making me a delicious hibiscus tea because yeah, no i'm problem. sorry i'm not a coffee drinker but you've really informed and enlightened me and yeah. i just i just really appreciate your insight and your time cool appreciate thanks. talking to you cheers yeah